Welcome to the local podcast. I'm your host, Clay Berkland, Director of Agricultural Banking for Pioneer Bank and Trust. My guest today is Billy Clanton from Buffalo, South Dakota, or north of Riva. Billy, welcome to the local podcast. Thanks, Clay. I'm glad to be here, and thanks for having me. So I'm doing a three-part series here using guys from Harding County, uh, yourself, Sam Olson, and Denver Gilbert. So I'm going to have the smartest man in the county, the best-looking man in the county, and the hardest-working man in the county. <laughs> and since you're first, you get to pick one which, you, which one you want to be. So. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I think that uh, how you described it, that should be uh, pretty obvious, so I'm not even going to try to uh, <laughs> to sway uh, anyone's opinions either way because I'm pretty sure that, that'll be pretty obvious. So, Fair enough. So I, I asked Billy to be on the show today. Uh, He's pretty involved in his community in western South Dakota and the agricultural industry, uh, keeping informed on things that matter to all of us. Um, but to, to get started, Billy, maybe you can just give me a little background on how you got started, how you made it back to the ranch, what, what brought you back to the ranch? Um, yeah, well, I, I grew up uh, on, on a ranch south of Buffalo. Um, spent all my younger years there, graduated from, from Harding County High School in 2004, and then I moved on to uh, Shadron State College and, and obtained a, a degree there. Um, married my wife uh, shortly after, a year after that, and then we moved to Bowbells, North Dakota, where I worked for uh, the Natural Resources Conservation Service, so uh, I'm a recovering bureaucrat, I guess, a uh, federal bureaucrat, but... Uh, then in uh, 2013, um, my parents were ready to uh, kind of start the transition process uh, for, for, to bring us home, and that was always the plan, I guess. So 2013 in April, we just we've just been now home eight years, and uh, uh, my folks moved into into Buffalo, and, and uh, still very involved in the ranch, but they just moved to town, and, and we moved into the ranch, and and. Uh, kind of been in a partnership with them ever since so and you're not to get it too granular in detail but you're transitioning the yourselves into the leadership of the operation and the management and maybe already all the way there yes and actually yeah this year we've kind of we just actually are really did start the for for about eight years i just kind of worked for my parents while they still owned and, and operated it but now um they're we're kind of working through some things to transfer ownership to us uh couple different ways to do that and, and then uh so um my parents are 68 um and they're uh they're both ready to kind of kind of move past uh move past the management and uh and uh and start uh, maybe easing into retirement although I've never known a rancher to retire but uh just turning more over to the decision making to 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 uh, to myself and Andrea uh, my wife so, so bill or uh, gary hasn't bought his last pair of work gloves yet though. not yet not maybe yet one or two uh, more pair left in maybe there. a few left uh yeah yeah i don't know if they'll get as worn down as <laughs> as uh, they used to be in his younger years but uh but uh yeah he's uh he's m moved into town and and uh, uh still comes out every every day and and helps and and we we make it work so so you're at a, the younger end of your career, um, but clearly a lot of the issues facing agriculture are important to you. I, I know you're on the, what I miss, fill in for me, you're on the Harding County Chamber of Commerce, the Harding County Stock Growers, South Dakota Stock Growers, what else? Uh, yeah, that's a number of, of uh, 
uh, leadership. Um, try not to sound like I'm bragging here, I guess, but uh, yeah, positions uh, no one else will take. Yes, pretty much, uh, pretty much, uh, nothing prestigious about it. How you get into those usually not so much the South Dakota stock growers, but the Harding County Chamber. I was president of that for two years, almost three years, and and people ask me how I got into it. I said, well, I was willing to do the job, and I have a pulse. So, uh, yeah. so, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the Harding County Chamber. Uh, I was on the board of the Harding County Stock Growers. I'm not anymore, but I'm still involved in it. Uh, and then I am the, the District 1 Director for the South Dakota Stock Growers Association. Um, I went through the, the South Dakota Ag, Ag and Rural Leadership Program a couple years ago. That was a really cool experience. And, and just, I, I don't know, I like being involved in the community. Um, I try to give back as much as I can or at least be involved without... Um, the danger with all of that is you sacrifice maybe sometimes on your operation. You got to have a pretty good support system at home to do yeah. it. Um, but I've always I enjoy being involved in organizations where we we have a common goal and we can accomplish things and and uh, and better our community or our industries. So so the the Sodaro classes or the South Dakota Egg and Rural Leadership. How many classmates did you have? Uh, it was around, I think we had about 28 oh, in yeah, my class. Many. Yep, yep. Okay, so. that's a, a very strong program uh, I've been loosely affiliated with over time. Uh, a lot of respect for the folks that have come through that, and uh, I think you end up being a resource for each other in quite a few instances, don't you? It, it is. It's it's a great a great uh, uh, organization and a great program. It was It was a lot of fun. You just get to see... You know, you think about South Dakota, and it's an ag state, but just the diversity of our agriculture throughout our state uh, is is really something that a lot of people don't realize. You know, if you you think about the western side, where more cow calf, and and maybe um, if there is farming, small grains. But you get over on the I twenty nine corridor, and the, the 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 dairy farms over there, and a lot of diversity on our state, and and like you said, the the uh, the networking is above all the most rewarding the rewarding part of it and the most uh, the 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 most you get out of it in my opinion I have friends that I still talk to you know weekly monthly uh, just keep in touch and and uh, the more people you know in this industry I think the better off you are and uh, it's it's the people that make our industry well, the great some of the decisions you get to participate in through the stock growers etc I assume that helps you round out your opinions once in a while if you can bounce them off folks that you have faith in their decision-making process and, and know how they arrived at it. Exactly. It, you know, if you have an issue that comes up, um, you know, I, I don't have a lot of background in, in like, feeding cattle or, or row crop farming, um, you know, as far as, you know, feedlots and, and, and things like that. So so I always have a resource I can call. I have a good friend in Sioux Falls uh, who's a banker over there, and he, he always has a good perspective. He's one of the guys that I call quite a bit if, if you're curious about something. Other friends in the, that are farming, and, and uh, it's, just, it's just good to have a well-rounded group of people that you can, that you can bounce ideas off of and, and help form your opinions. So You know, we forgot one thing, your most prestigious position you hold. What's that? Board of Directors for the South Dakota Buckaroos. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that is both the most prestigious and the most uh, the most fun. I'll tell you that much. So <laughs> quite elite organization. Yeah, I think I'd give say. up. I'd give up every job before I gave up that one. I <laughs> I enjoy that one the most. So uh, to be more serious again, though, what some of the issues you're dealing with in the Stock Growers Association are largely what I asked you to be on the the podcast today about. Uh, I know you spent a fair amount of time. Every year in peer, what what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What 
what has you most concerned? Uh, um, th- th- this year, I guess the stock growers had had many issues. Uh, they were uh, kind of championing uh, one of them. One of them, the big one that I worked on or that I helped with was. Uh, what's known as the open fields legislation or open fields uh, doctrine. Um, It's an issue that's been around in South Dakota politics for quite a while, 15 years, and and Harding County was kind of the epicenter of it back then. Basically, what it is 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 uh, there's a Supreme Court, uh, a number of Supreme Court, federal Supreme Court uh, rulings that have kind of deemed that, um, you know, someone's pasture or someone's field um, is not privileged to the same, I guess, right to privacy as like a home would be. Um, And so this bill, um, I think it was House Bill 1140, was a bill just how it was written it said it would limit the entry of, of conservation officers onto private land um it sounds worse than it is uh you know w- we met some pretty steep opposition down there uh and, and it was any number of things uh you know a slap in the face to conservation officers was one you know uh it's a bill for poaching uh for me I have nothing against game wardens. I respect what they do. Um, to me, it was just the fundamental belief that that if you own a piece of property, you should have the right uh, to be able to control who's on that on that on that land. Um, I understand it's not the same as a home, and, it, and this, the way the law was written, it wasn't. You know, it was not held to that high of a standard as as like the inside of your house. But just a, a basic rule that if you own a piece of property, you should be able to control who's on there, or at least know. Um, there was certain instances where you know they could go out there to the way the law was written. It said you could you could go out and you know kill a wounded animal, and and basically it it kind of put a tamp down a, a, a compliance check with no warrant. You know, you just see somebody out there hunting. They, they cannot enter now without, uh, without permission from the landowner. Um, the one thing it did, I think, and, and the Game and Fish actually supported us on it, their angle was if, if, they, if, if we put this in legislation, um, you know, it'll require game wardens to, to, you know, get to know their producers more mm-hmm. because I have no reason to ever deny a game warden entry. I mean, I'd let him on. I, it was just the, it, for me, it was just the over, you know, 40,000 foot view of we should have the right to be able to control who's on right. our property. Uh, no disrespect to any conservation officer. And, and they had already been doing this as a policy, department policy the, for the 10 years. The result was calmer heads prevailed and we kind of kept the practice that had been in place just not in law is that exactly and and this was a a long battle actually when governor dugard came in in 2011 he instituted him and the current secretary instituted the policy and i mean history will show that the relationship between landowners and and the game and fish and during that time improved dramatically so i think the proof was in the pudding that this was worth exploring um is it an issue that's going to come up every year on no but but it is it is uh something i think was important and um and it took 15 years to get it done and it, it still met steep resistance this year uh they had to it got killed in committee actually i went and testified and several other two other landowners from harding county a couple other groups we all went and testified and and secretary roebling of the game fish he testified in favor and it got killed seven nothing in committee 
And I said, well, if you ever need help, Secretary Roebling, with anything else, just let me know. If you need a bill killed, we'll <laughs> be here. So, <laughs> yeah, so, but they have a procedure. Uh, they smoked it out, which is if senators on the floor wanna, want to uh, get it to the floor, they can, and they did. And the full weight of the governor's office was behind it. So we got it across the finish line. And, and, and another backstory to it, there's two guys from Harding County that probably pushed this issue the most. Um, Larry Nelson and Bob Johnson were two producers that started on this way back in 2004. Uh, they tried it two years in a row and it failed both times, made it through one chamber each year and got defeated. But Bob was on a working group that went around the state to study this issue. And one particular meeting they went to in Aberdeen, I mean, he, he took some, there was some sportsman groups there that, that took some pretty hard shots at, at him and landowners in Harding County. And, and he stayed the course. And, and if you look, when they signed this bill, I was really, one of the coolest things was both Bob and Larry were in the picture with the governor when she signed it into law. And I thought, what a what an example of, you know, you might not always win your battles. You know, the world of politics moves slow, but those guys put 15 years into this issue and, and got to see it across the finish line. And that, that was what was cool for me, I guess. At the end so. of the day, they won the war, they just had. <laughs> yes, they did. They did. And, and they convinced people along the way, convinced the game, fish, and parks to to, su to support support it and and the governor's office and lieutenant governor Roden was a big big factor and and then when governor Nome got involved and, and they finally got it a, a pass the finish line it was it was pretty cool to be a part of so so this topic revolves around something you know across South Dakota you you mentioned the diversity of our agricultural production uh, a lot of people don't appreciate Harding County is very unique in the state of South Dakota. And I'm going to flip the history pages back. I learned this from your grandpa 25 years ago. <laughs> um, he, was, he was pretty educational for me in some afternoon coffees we had. But uh, eastern South Dakota, a lot of it was settled up uh, prior to some of the Homestead Acts. So what the Homestead Acts created were state lands within school sections, et cetera. But the settlers were ahead of the Homestead Act, and, and some of those what would have been deemed school sections at a later date were homesteaded upon. So they had to balance that out by putting a lot of state land as far west as they could. By the time they got it accomplished, most of it ended up being in Harding County. So we have a lot of school land up there that is only because of trading school sections basically in eastern South Dakota. That's a long-winded version of saying Harding County suffers or has the privilege of, depending upon your opinion, more BLM, more state land than any other county in the state. Uh, the impact that has, of course, is in South Dakota. We have access to public lands for hunting purposes. Uh, if you're from Gettysburg or Huron, you don't have to worry about that because you don't have state lands adjoining two-thirds of your property. Well, in Harding County, we do. Yeah, <laughs> we, we get to see a lot of hunters from a lot of different places that are accessing state lands for hunting privileges. So deer cross the fence, antelope cross the fence, whatever you're in pursuit of, and and then it results in these things that become problematic for the landowner that's just trying to manage their property, their private rights. That fair fair analysis, fair synopsis. Yes, very fair. Yeah, it, it presents its own set of challenges. Um, it's gotten better with technology. Most of those guys, you know, have GPSs. They know where they're at. Um, you know, the hunting hunting issue on state land is, is one that you'll find several different opinions. My opinion is... Um, while it it can be a nuisance, um, it's not it's not a big issue for me. I guess it amounts to about six weekends a year. 
you know, it is public land. The the misunderstanding that happens often is, you know, when you think of South Dakota School and Public Lands, a lot of people think of, well, it's the same vein as U.S. Forest Service multi-use. It it is not. The the sole purpose of of South Dakota School and Public Lands is to raise money for education. Now, hunting and and has become an acceptable secondary use, but what supersedes all of that is is the grazing leases that are uh, that are bid on every ten years, and most people in Harding County have had their same school land for years, um, which is just a testament to how long we how well we get along with each right. other. I think, <laughs> on the surface, yes, on the surface, but uh, but anyway. It uh, so that that is kind of a misnomer. We do pay the property taxes on it, which uh, a lot of people, you know, maybe uh, maybe is a little unorthodox for for public lands. I I don't mind it. I think it's a good way. You, usually, it makes your lease cheaper or whatever. You have to pay the property, but but what it does is it allows the the local governments to collect some money and and uh, off some land that normally would would not be taxable. So uh, so. I, um, I guess the biggest misnomer is, yes, it's open for hunting, and that's fine, but that is not the primary use. Its primary use is uh, is to gra- lease it out to, to agricultural producers and to raise money to educate kids in, in South Dakota. So It's been a pretty successful program for 100 years now, I guess. It has. It works. It's, it's not perfect. Some people would like to control the hunting rights, and I get that. Um, but for me, it's just, it's kind of, um, I'd love to be able to control the hunting rights. And the, the message I, but but it's just, to me, it's that's a pretty small price to pay, I guess. And the message that I like to tell, you know, we always hear about how cheap our state land is, how we lease it. But, you know, I think the state, uh, the school and public lands office has like five five uh, employees there is no physical way they could manage these lands right. without local producers on the ground and the best thing for them is for us to treat it like it's our own land you know if i have to pay uh, an exorbitant amount which you know we would probably manage it a lot differently than than our might graze it a little harder yes i mean i don't i hate to say that but it would happen it might not be you know people would treat it that way and mm-hmm. and and I think the best thing is is we've got landowners who who a lot of times you can't even tell the, the boundaries are not marked in Harding right. County, so yeah. you don't even know where private and public begins. So, uh, so you know we manage it like it's our own. I think we've done a good job to protect the resource. You know we we've gotten better. Um, you know rotational grazing, water lines, all that stuff has made state land better, just along with the private lands. Yeah. So, so. Outside of those issues, what else do you see on the horizon? What concerns are you facing with the Stock Growers Association? I know one current one we could talk about quite a bit, I'm sure, is the the 30 by 30 push that was enacted with an executive order in January. Uh, can you tell me where you, what, what your knowledge is of that at this point in time? Well, a month ago, it wasn't much, but yeah. uh, uh, it's it, it was a, an executive order signed on the 27th of January. Uh, it was a huge executive order. It had a number of climate-related uh, things in it. Uh, the same executive order that stopped federal stopped leasing on federal lands for oil and gas production. Um, but in that, and I think it's section two something. It had this 30 by 30. Uh, I, I'll call it initiative, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in it, it talks about conserving 30% of the United States' land into conservation by the year 2030. 
Which is a flowery way by using the word conservation of meaning control as I read it. Not, yes. Not to put words in your mouth. No, no, it is. And it's it's concerning. They're just... The, the the executive order was so vaguely written, uh, and I think it may be almost on purpose, uh, and it, it triggers a report that's due, I think, the 27th, 90 days from... Yep. But there's a lot of concerning language in it. I just don't know what they mean by conservation, if, if that means... You know, voluntary programs like we've got through through the NRCS office. I'm a little biased towards them. It is a federal <laughs> agency, but you know that doesn't scare me as bad. But um, went to a, or watched a meeting in Rapid that uh, I believe the organization was American Stewards for Liberty held, and a lot of this 30 by 30, the, the language in the executive order didn't start there. 30 by 30 has been around, and there was a report by the Center for American Progress. Uh, which I won't get into politics, but it's an organization that is not our friend in western South Dakota. Right. Um, and uh, they uh, they kind of have a blueprint for that on their website, a report. Uh, it was something, oh, I have it here in front of me. How much nature should America keep? And it, it kind of lays up lays out the guidebook for this 30 by 30, and it, it's kind of alarming. They talk, they use the word permanent conservation. Only 1% of the land is currently in permanent conservation which I don't, I mean, that's a pretty loaded word in my mind. Like, I don't know what they mean by permanent conservation. Uh, you know, I, I consider every acre we run on in some in conservation. I mean, we, we don't, I don't think we damage our resources. I mean, I, we could always do better. We do better now than we did 40 years ago. But uh, I, I just think it is alarming to, to see very vague language, um, you know, and, and, and I know that they're all tying this back to climate change. Um, but, but the fact, I, I, hope, I hope they understand that, that the best way to conserve the land is, is to keep producers on it, um, keep them making a living, supporting families, and, and uh, you know, we'll do as good a job as anywhere. Um, and, and the worst thing you can do for land is idle it. I mean, that's all you have to do is, my dad always talks about go look at an old cemetery that hasn't been mowed in 20 years, and, and you'll see a damaged ecosystem within, you know, it might yeah, be an acre yeah. of ground. But um, so there is an effort uh, right now. Several organizations are, are, uh, are kind of battling this, uh, starting to at least lay the groundwork to be able to fight this, to see what it is. I mean, I'm still hopeful that it might be something through more voluntary programs, but... Uh, you know, every, the more I read about it, the more the more concerned I get. I guess is. I, I would agree with that. Uh, we're going to take a short break here, Billy, and I, I don't think we finished up on this topic quite yet. So we'll come back to it when we return. Sounds good. I'm your host, Clay Berkland. My guest today is Billy Clanton from Harding County. Uh, when we left, we were speaking on the 30 by 30 initiative enacted under an executive order back in January, and some of the the downstream results of that that we we fear and we're trying to prepare for. Uh, one thing they mentioned the other night, and I hadn't gone here in my brain, but it, after they said it, it made a lot of sense to me, the the things we have to stay in front of, Billy, and, and be aware of. Uh, you know, of course, a huge concern for us right now in, in our part of the world is the removal of the step-up basis from, from the tax structure, or the, the benefit we've had of that. And I, at first, couldn't even comprehend why that would have any impact on 30 by 30, but as she walked through that, um, of course, if you lose the, I won't get into the mechanics of the step-up basis, but in short, uh, upon the death of the landowner, if you have to meet a large burden for estate taxes, 
and sell the real estate to pay those taxes, um, your place shrinks. But they could let you voluntarily sign up for these conservation programs, thereby gain control of the ground, and they would gain part of their long-term goal is to control 30% of the land. Um, That's not a voluntary program in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) No. uh, That was one point she brought up. and it it kind of I mean it, it makes sense you know maybe maybe they'd give you a break uh, let you take a higher basis on the land or at its current value if if you have it in a long term easement program kind of a a carrot I guess and a stick at the same time to to get you to participate participate in uh, in these these uh, whatever they call conservation I'm assuming. When I hear the word permanent, I, I, I think easement. I, I don't know. It, it might not be that. But, yeah, that, that is one avenue that I hadn't, I hadn't thought of. And, and, you know, I heard a lot about people talk about with the, the step-up basis and the elimination of or the, the lower of the exemption of the, of the death tax. You know, I, I heard about, well, maybe, there'll be an ex- uh, maybe ag will be exempt from that. And, and maybe it will be, but maybe this would be their way of exempting ag. Yeah, um, that's an exemption again, not voluntary. Yes. But it is an exemption. It, it is. So it, it makes you wonder. I, I don't, you know, like I said, we, we just don't know enough right now. But I'm very, for, very glad that, that there's organizations that are getting out in front of this and, and engaging their legislators, both at federal, state, and, and then even our local county, county level officials. Because it is scary. I don't know if it'll ever come to fruition, but you have to plan like it will. It's uh, it's definitely something to think about. And and a lot of the principal people, uh, the interior secretary who was just confirmed, uh, she her, her name is uh, Deb Holland from New Mexico, and and she uh, she she was a big pusher of this thirty by thirty plan, and she's the current head of the Department of Interior. So. Um, I know they're not gonna they're not gonna forget about it. Uh, it's it's on their agenda. This climate stuff is not gonna go away. So we need to be able to to meet it where we can. And I I know none of our producers want to harm the environment. And as you very eloquently stated earlier, uh, the best stewards of the land are on it and should not be removed. But the government always has a better plan than we do. It I fear sometimes. And uh, so how do we stay in front of it? Uh, you and I have had some of this conversation already. Uh, we have to have a, a front that is cohesive amongst all of our organizations, and sometimes that's pretty challenging to pull off. It is. Yeah, we, we've got to be able to at least tell our story. I just find it, if this is the federal, if this is this administration's plan, it's incredibly arrogant and condescending to assume that that they know better than, than people who have been making their livings off this land for for generations uh, like i said we're not always perfect but we're always working hard to to do better and, and we are the original conservationists in my opinion you know our practices have improved greatly all you have to do is look at the farming across the country i mean everyone's minimum till now mostly they're still you know so we're always doing better and and we i, I don't know just like i said we, we've got to be able to present a united front one thing about livestock producers they're very independent they have their own thoughts, and uh, that's what makes us great. But it can also be to our detriment. I'm not going to get into it do, too deep, but we fight a lot about organizations. And on issues like this, we just cannot afford that because this is something that we should all be able to agree on, that we that we need to uh, unite behind. And uh, we need to be, I think, more cohesive in our in on at least some issues. I mean, I don't mind a little disagreement. I'm from Harding County, so, you know. <laughs> but, it comes naturally. Yeah, but to your point, yes, we need to be 
present a united front on these issues and many others that that are coming at us not from outside our industry climate related you know synthetic meats all that kind of stuff is all on the horizon it's not going away and for the guys like me who are just starting out or have 40 years left in this business um, it's not about which livestock organization uh, you support and, and who you want to get credit it's just about protecting this industry so so my kids have the same opportunity that I did. And that's, uh, you know, uh, I'm relatively new in this position that I was appointed to last summer as a director of agricultural banking, and uh, we're still defining the parameters of that. But one thing near and dear to my heart that I want to figure out a way for everybody to achieve is to pass their place on to the next generation if that is what they desire. Uh, I know you guys have already taken strides that direction, and I admire that. Uh, you do have to be kind of brave to take those steps, but, you know, your folks have to be willing. You have to be willing, and everybody has to sit around the table and communicate, and sometimes that's the hardest part of it. But some of these things put up roadblocks to that goal of keeping these family ranches as family ranches. Making that next step across the industry here in western South Dakota is going to be pretty hard for a lot of folks, especially if we have the removal of the step-up basis. That's one we're waiting on. I, th I think there was a bill introduced last week to at least define that and when it would be active, probably January 1st of 2022. So we probably have the rest of this year to plan on a lot of places real quickly. You better have an attorney that you're friendly with. You better have an accountant that you're friendly with. And you better be willing to make some decisions kind of quick. And Exactly. I, I don't like people to be forced into those positions, but better to be forced into those positions today than when it's too late. No, and you're exactly right. Uh, I was fortunate. You know, my parents... Well, this isn't just my parents. I, I'm sure you see it with your customers. Most, I don't know many ranchers. That's what I find most ex offensive about the if they do eliminate or if they do lower the exemption on the death tax and the step-up basis. If you talk to any producer or rancher, farmer, I don't care, anybody in agriculture, probably anybody even extended out to small businesses, the most thing they're passionate about is being able to pass their operation on to the next generation. For most guys, that is their number one goal above anything. Uh, you know, raising the best calves in town, yeah, but I want to I make sure my kids have the opportunity. I was fortunate. My parents, every decision they made from the time they ended up on our place was about getting the next generation back. Um, I was, you know, the benefit of that, and, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. Our, our industry is so special. You know, we're one of the few industries that we get to wake up every morning do something we love every day, and do it beside the people we care about the most. So that's that's what it's all about, and that's why I find some of this tax stuff, I, I don't know, I don't want to sound dramatic, but it is offensive. I mean, keep let's, let's, keep, uh, let's be able to keep past these organizations on and be able to plan, or these operations on, and be able to plan for that. It's so hard to plan every time you get a new, uh, somebody from a different party, the, the policies change, and, and you've got to adapt to that, so... Yeah, that makes your long-term vision have a four-year recurrent cycle that you have to reset your strategic plan to, to get to that objective. <laughs> exactly, and some of those, some of these ranchers, they've been there. It's all they've known. They've been there their whole lives, and and it's a hard, it's a hard process for them to to pass it on, and and even just the act of taking the land out of their name 
you know, that's a hard bridge to cross for some of them. Changing the brand uh, to to your son, you know, when when it's been yours or, or or the cattle have been yours for all these years, you know. So it, it's not a good it's not good when you have to rush that. And and I just I hope that there's enough farm state senators and legislators that can kind of hold the line on this stuff and understand the issue that that we can at least be able to make a good plan. So probably never been a more important time in agriculture to have an understanding of that than than today. Um, we're going to learn a lot in the next six months, probably. Yes. Uh, making plans along those lines, and uh, I, I hope we can get enough information quickly enough to make all the right decisions. Next topic, uh, the Pause Act that's coming out of Colorado. Your familiarity with that, and I, I know what you think of it, I, I believe. <laughs> yeah, that was not hard. Uh, yeah, that's another one. It kind of has come up, and it's it's got some weird oh some weird uh, weird things in it. It, it is a, an initiative. And it's it's kind of being pushed by I think by some animal rights folks in Colorado. It's going to be a ballot measure. I think it's going to be Initiative 16 in Colorado. If they can get the signatures, it's been approved to be on the ballot. If if they can get the signatures, and the way I understand it, that's probably about a guarantee that it's going to be on the ballot. And and it it'll have a lot of. Uh, a lot of things in it that that we won't like, and and you can say that it's in Colorado and it won't affect us, but that would be that would be pretty pretty wrong because what it does, is, and I'll just kind of go through it. It bans artificial insemination, pregnancy checks, semen collection, basic animal husbandry practices that have been known as common for many years. Pulling a calf, preg checking. Yes, basically make it kind of impossible to to do any of that stuff and i could already write the ads for them they'll call it assault on animals and and yeah. uh and well, and slaughter is prohibited until they are 25 percent of their natural age and then it life defines ex- it defines expectancy. yes it defines the life expectancy in that and a cow is is 20 so you couldn't slaughter a beef animal until age five exactly so you, you think about that and just think, I think about eastern Colorado and, and Weld County around Greeley, all, you know, there's packing plants there, lots of feedlots. So you, you think about how that would change. I know, I know people whose calves go to feedlots in, in, around Greeley. You think about that, they're probably going to have to, you know, they're, they're going to have to get them to five years old and, and just the ripple effect that would have throughout our, our country and the industry we need to be paying attention to that one uh, because... Well, it's naive for us to stick our head in the sand and say, oh, that's dumb, it'll never happen. I, I agree, it's dumb. But very good friend of mine's a circuit court judge here in South Dakota, um, born and raised here. I believe he knows the politics of South Dakota better than anybody. He assured me marijuana legislation would never pass in South Dakota. And we'd had a couple of ballot initiatives, and he was correct. It didn't come close to passing, but it did in Colorado. It did in Oregon. It did in Washington. Last year, it came up on our ballot. And I thought of my friend, the judge's opinion, and it had never happened. And was he ever wrong? Yeah. We won by or it. The, that became law. What by, do you mean we? <laughs> we stuff. <laughs> yeah. Now it is a law. Yeah. We're, we're going to have it here. So, you know, those things start in another state. But that incrementalism or that constant drip of hearing that it's okay somewhere else and pretty quick it becomes okay here. It is never going to be okay to have something like beef slaughter at age five and our industry survive. So we definitely have to take a position on those things. And you can't hope your neighbor goes and fights that battle for you. You need to toe the line yourself and and go face that music and say, hey, no, we can't do this. And I think that's one of the hardest things for a lot of our producers to do is, as you said, take the time away from what you're doing, 
drive to town, go to that meeting, express your opinion, take that message out publicly, and thank you for being one of the people willing to do that, Billy, because <laughs> it is very, very important to us. Yeah, well, you're exactly right And that. They picked a good state in Colorado to try it. Um, I have a lot of good friends down there. Uh, it's kind of becoming Eastern California, <laughs> but, but it is. And like California, you know, California gets a bad rap. There's a lot of agriculture there, and Colorado's yeah. the same way, but they're dominated by the metro area of Denver, and that is the problem with ballot initiatives. I am all for the people's right to to uh, express their, you know, opinions and, and to, to be able to, to pass legislation through the voting process. But it is so hard to inform voters of what this actually would mean for their food prices. I mean, it would make the cost of... And I, I think that's the, o- the overall goal is to make... to try to price meat out of, you know, competition. So th- that's, that's kind of the issue. There's hope, though, because what we just talked about, how ag organizations will uh, need to unite. And in Colorado, they are uniting. They formed an organization. It's called the Coloradans for Animal Care. And it's a conglomerate of ag groups that are that are fighting this initiative. And their governor there, who is a, a pretty liberal gentleman, he, uh, he has had some controversial things, not always been a friend to agriculture, but he has made statements in opposition to this, whether or not, I hope it's not just lip service, I hope he does oppose it, because uh, it'll be so important uh, to make sure this gets killed, and, and if, if you want more information, just go to that Coloradans for Animal Care, and uh, they got a good website, and they're just starting the process. Um, you know, they're going to appeal appeal it to try to keep it off the, the ballot, but I assume it'll probably end up there, and that's when the real fight will begin, and, and we need to make sure that, that other states are involved, and, and we can help in any way we can, whether it's just financial donations to these organizations, but we absolutely cannot have that pass, because it would, it would have ripple effects throughout the livestock industry, all, uh, throughout the whole country, so. Well said, Billy. Uh, we're going to step away here for a little bit. Uh, we have to sell some advertising so we can pay for your expenses down here and your luxury Cruise we're sending you on <laughs> I'm your host, Clay Berkland. Uh, with me still for one more little section, here's Billy Clanton, Harding County. We've touched on 30 by 30, the Paws Act, volunteerism. Now you just need to solve the drought and cattle prices for us. <laughs> what, what do you have? Well, yeah, that's a big one. We'll see where we end up. I'm always hopeful. Op- the eternal optimists are ranchers, although you wouldn't wouldn't always know. Have if... you ever been out of a drought in Harding County? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Funny story. This year does remind me of the year I moved home in 2013. It was, I think, uh, I think the middle. Of, we were in a similar similar situation. It was really dry, and and I thought, what in the heck did I move back to this for? This barren wasteland, this desert. But I think May 16th, it went to rain and it didn't quit. And then the cattle prices were on a steady climb for about two years from them. And somewhere in that, I remember thinking, I don't know why all these ranchers are always so what grumpy. What's so hard about this? Yeah, this is easy. <laughs> the very time frame you're talking about Justin Tupper and Randy Curtis, uh, of course, one worked for Belfouche, one worked for St. Ange Livestock, but they're sitting at my desk at the same time. And cowherd liquidation was starting that week in both St. Ange and Belfouche, and they were comparing notes about getting trucks and where they're going to send cattle. And it started sprinkling literally while they're sitting at my desk and their phones start to ring. And this guy's pulling off a load. This guy's pulling off a load. And just like you said, that year, the clouds parted, the rain came. We had hay crop, grass, dams got full. So yeah. It can still happen. Hell, we got two weeks before. It, we it did. And we were we had two loads of pears consigned to the sale barn and, and uh, canceled them both. 
that's my biggest fear is we'll sell a bunch of pairs and then it'll go to Rannon in June and, and it doesn't take much to me for me to look like an idiot, but that would be one of them that would, you know, I'd uh, feel. If it's but, a good decision today, you make it, you just got to stay with it. That's <laughs> all you can do. So the one issue that, that we seem to struggle with in our industry is people willing to step out and have express their opinion. I'm having putting this, having trouble putting this into words cleanly, but you know, make a difference. Don't be afraid to make a difference. How, how do you draw people out from that? What what solution do you see for us to be cohesive and, and come across the aisle with some competitive entities and, and, and be friends and find that common goal? Well, it, it it's hard. I, I don't know. I don't have the answers. And I'm not I have my preference for, for organizations. Um but I don't I don't have any hatred for anybody that, that you know, has a different opinion than me. I guess some people might disagree with me, but it's hard to get, well, particularly my generation. um, I guess I'll call myself a millennial, although I don't want to. I have shivers (laughs) up my spine when I say that, but... You heard it here, folks. Yeah. (laughs) Getting that generation of producers is going to be really important. And, and, you know, you can read, I've read books, actually, when I went through Sadarl about you know, the baby boomer generation and the millennial generation tend to clash. We're getting pretty deep here, but I can, I live that every day. I'm sure. I mean, I make no secrets about family operations there. It's, it's never, it's always a struggle, but, um, and it's the same in livestock organizations, ag organizations. And it, it took me a long time where I felt comfortable to voice opinions about some of this stuff because there's so many different angles and so many different uh, viewpoints to take. But you kind of just learn as you go. And, and I, don't ha- I don't know how to get young people. Hound them, I guess, is one. And, yeah. and, and you just got to keep recruiting that next generation of producers to get involved. It's not always fun. Um, I, I, I won't lie. It's no secret. I enjoy doing this stuff. But, you know, every time you leave home, there's there's something that gets missed. So you, you got to, like I said earlier, you've got to be able to make sure you're not uh, going to be sacrificing anything on your operation to, to volunteer for this stuff. But it is important. I know it, it doesn't it never feels like you're you're accomplishing much. But once in a while, like you, you win one like we did this year in Pier. You get to take your picture with the governor. Yeah, yeah. You get to do stuff like that, and, and that's rewarding. And, and the, the, just like I said earlier, just like Sadarl, you, you gain some contacts. So I would encourage anyone, you know, who listens, to, if if they're young or old, whatever, get get involved, do your own research, and and find out what what you where you're at on some of this stuff, and 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 get involved. It's not always fun. You're going to probably take some butt chewings, but that's just part of it. What what's the best thing, best experience you've had so far through all these? The best reward, whatever it is. Boy, that's a tough question. Well, the friendships I've made, my most favorite experience actually was in Sadarl, and I I've only been to Washington DC once in my life and I'm, we got to go there for that trip. And that was that was really cool. That was a lot of fun just to go experience that but the other thing and just another what people don't realize in south dakota at least is just how accessible our state legislature is anyone can go testify on a bill anyone can go uh you know lobby senators or representatives i mean you literally just walk in the building and you can go you know push your issue you're probably not always going to win you're going to lose more than you win but just be a part of the process but that to me is it's just getting to know people, building the network, and being able to have people call you by name when you see them that, you know, a, a senator from across the state or, or – or, and and I don't go that much. I mean, there's people that go way more than me, but even a little bit – people remember you. 
Uh, they appreciate it when grassroots producers show up. They want to hear from us. Um, they, they get tired of hearing from lobbyists. I, I know that for sure. They know if there's a bunch of guys from Harding County or Western South Dakota that show up to the Capitol for an issue, they know that it's important to us. So they take it extra serious. And uh, so I guess that would be the most rewarding is being able to visit with legislators and getting a few issues through yeah. that you're passionate about. So each Sodaro class takes a trip somewhere. Where did your class go? Uh, we went to India. Anybody, I think they have the seventh biggest economy in the world, and I mean they are. It is so different. Anybody who says the United States is not leading the effort on climate change is sorely <laughs> mistaken because there's a lot of things going on that have not happened here ever that I know of. Common to practice in any. Yeah. I, we were driving through uh, New Delhi on a bus and uh, drove, drove by this big mountain. And up on this mountain is a big bulldozer. Well, we get closer. The big mountain is that just was not a mountain. It was a mountain of garbage. I mean, it was it was their landfill. It was uh, there's just so many people over there. Uh, the poverty over there is. I mean, it, it it's heartbreaking, really. Their agriculture is is uh, so much different. It's it's probably several generations behind ours. You no, know, they're not still prehistoric, but not in the 20th century. I no, and and like the average farm size is like 25 acres or something. So. It's, uh, and actually they have land caps over there, so it's so different, and it's just, man, it just made me so fortunate to, to be able to grow up where I grew up and have the opportunities that I had, because you go over there, and it, and, and the big joke, and, and I really enjoyed the trip, I, 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 I it was a once-in-a-lifetime trip, but people ask me what the best things to see in India, or what the best things in India, there's two things you can't miss if you go to India. The first one's the Taj Mahal, and the second one's the plane ride out. So. <laughs> but it was a unique country, a deep culture. I've, uh, it, it was a lot of fun, I, and in all seriousness. They're very proud of their heritage over there, and, and uh, it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Well, I don't live with very many regrets, but in the first class, I think, was in 2000. I'm having a little trouble with my calendar years here, but... I was a member of the first class and found out I was going to be the father of triplets about a month after that <laughs> class started and realized that that probably wasn't going to work for me. So I, I never finished my enrollment and never finished the class. And I, I think they went to maybe China, but I missed out on that. So I never got to see any big mountains in yeah. any other countries. Or yeah, it was... Like uh, it, it it's if you're going to do it and, and i would encourage anyone to go look at that too but it, it's time consuming i think it's like 60 days over a year and a half i'm very fortunate to have a, a father who was willing to to uh take care of things at home and a wife that uh, was very forgiving about me being gone a lot so uh maybe she enjoys the time away. maybe it probably <laughs> does probably does yeah yeah that's fair so any other topics you'd like to touch on before we close out here billy no i would just uh one last comment and and just uh i just want to commend uh you for for doing this and and pioneer bank i believe you guys have been in in buffalo i think we were your first branch 1913 1913 uh there is not a community event not a not anything whether it be a medical benefit for for somebody or a, a building fund the pioneer bank and trust is not involved in in buffalo um I, I commend you guys for uh, for never forgetting where you started. Anytime there's something going on, you and Dylan show up, and and it's much appreciated. And and you guys are so important to to uh, to our community thriving. And and I just wanted to make sure I, you guys knew that we sure appreciate it. And it does not go unnoticed. So well, thank you very much for that. Uh, that was an unpaid plug, by the way. Yeah, it was. I didn't even have to be coached for that. So <laughs> thank you very much, Billy. That, that means.
means a lot to me. Uh, and thank you for the time that you invest in our industry, uh, your community, and trying to make a place for your kids to grow up and have a business sometime in the future. That's what it's all about. So thank you much, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you, Clay. Glad to be here. Pioneer Bank and Trust. Members FDIC.